Hey guys, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to a newer podcast, or at least a new one for me, and that's the Grey History Podcast. Now, rather than present a story in a way that makes it out to be black and white, William Clark has created a long-form show that deals with the complexities and the ambiguities of history. William is currently looking at the French Revolution, and if you want to understand our modern world, this is the place to begin. Now, this is one engaging and addictive show, so I'm warning you now, you're gonna be hooked. And with that being said, let me turn it over for a few moments to William himself. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History is a history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. A show that seeks to explore the contention and the debate, along with the simple who, what, when. The current season is focused on the French Revolution an era vitally important to understanding the world we live in today, and a period that no one can agree on just about anything. Hear the contradicting experiences and conclusions of both contemporaries and historians as we explore the grey in detail. And I do mean in detail. We're 50 hours in and the king is still alive. Although, admittedly, only just. So, If you're looking for your next binge-worthy long-form history podcast, one that's used by universities across the world, check out Grey History, the French Revolution today. That's G-R-E-Y. Hey guys, fall is almost here, and that means it's time for some fantastic new products from our friends over at Fable Beard Company. They've been releasing their fall lineup lately, and there's some great new products. One of the new ones this year is the Beard Master. This fun one features aged leather and cursed apple trees as the scent profile. Wow, <laughs> can't get much more fun than that. Another great one, this one's back from last year and it's my favorite from last year, and that's the Doll Maker. It has a scent profile of warm butterscotch, buttered rum, and candy corn. These are just two of the new great fall scents you'll find over at fablebeardco.com. Now, of course, they come in a wide range of different products that are perfect for beards and hair. They have beard oil and butter, but also a wash and a conditioner. And as I know I've said before, my wife loves the conditioner for her hair, and we use the wash for our dogs. Their fur has never been softer. Head over to fablebeardco.com and be sure to use coupon code SEAN15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off each and every single order when you use SEAN, S-H-A-W-N, 15. Okay, let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back to the show. Today, it's my pleasure to bring you all Alexander Rose, the author of numerous books, including Washington Spies. You probably saw the show based on it. Empires of the Sky, Men of War, and several other fantastic works. Um, Today, we're discussing his latest book, and it's my pleasure to talk about this one. It's The Lion and the Fox, a book that I think you're thoroughly going to enjoy. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes page so you can head over to Amazon and get a copy for the history buff in your life. It's Christmas time. Maybe get yourself a little Christmas gift. So, Alexander, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on, Sean. 
Um, so let's just talk about what is what what's the book about? Uh, in a nutshell, the book is about uh, two rival spies, one Union, one Confederate, who were in Liverpool in England, which was then the mightiest port city yeah. in the world, and uh, obviously during the Civil War. And uh, one of them, one of their the, the Confederate fellows' mission was to acquire, build, commission a secret Confederate Navy of blockade runners, commerce raiders, and modern ironclads. And the task of the Union agent was to stop him by hook or by crook. That's that's the essential. It's a little like the spy versus spy uh, cartoon from uh, Mad, if you remember yeah. that. God, I if love I'm those. dating myself a little here. <laughs> Both of us were dating ourselves by knowing that. Kids out there will be like, what was that? Uh, yeah, and it's a great, it's a great story. Uh, you know, I never would have thought kind of a, a it almost almost has a little bit of a Cold War feel to it um, without having, obviously, the Cold War set in the Civil War. So um, it's a really fascinating story. Now, my question for you is, how in the world did you come upon this story? I think well, it's one of when you're when you're a, a writer, you, you're always coming up with ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and in my case, I can't speak for other writers. I mean, most of those ideas are really stupid. <laughs> um, but still, you write them down somewhere and you put them in a file. And you know what? Maybe you'll come back to them. And I do remember, and I was I was I I, I was looking at something a, a little while ago about it. Um, I was having some email correspondence with someone about this idea back in about, I don't know, 2008, 2009. Wow. So I think I must have read it somewhere about, mm -hmm. you know, again, now, what, 14 years, 13, whatever it is, my my maths isn't great. <laughs> Mine isn't great either. That's why, <laughs> That's I do. why I'm a writer, not a mathematician. <laughs> exactly. uh, and <laughs> and, uh, and I, I think I'd written down something about, you know, Union spy, Confederate spy, Liverpool, Confederate Navy. I probably read it in some general history somewhere. Yeah. Um, and as a potential sequel to Washington Spies, which was set during the, the revolution. Uh, and so I was acquiring material on it, whatever I came across it, and I was sticking it into the database. And, and then uh, it was like a few years, and then I, but I forgot about it. I went on to other books, as, as, you, as you know. And then eventually I was looking through, uh, you know, the files a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. And I was thinking, oh, you know, that, yeah, I forgot about that. That's a great, that's a good idea. Um, the weird thing is, is that, I mean, from the I was actually looking at the the original my original like Word document where I'd written this yeah uh, this this idea down and it, the weird thing was is that from the very beginning I had the structure in my head and it's it basically all that that concept of spy versus spy uh -huh. one spy against another in one in one city trying to outfox and outwit and outfight each other so the the the, the idea was there from the very beginning but then it's the you know it's always the details that get you because it's an extremely uh -huh complex story i mean really super complex and i think that's what had had messed me up for so many years why i kept on sort of kicking, kicking <laughs> the cat on the road in that it's really easy to get lost in the thickets yeah and the and, and the hedges and the and the thorns and the and so on because it's there are dozens and dozens of ships um the the documents are all written in in you know again original documents are thousands of pages long you've got hundreds a hundred volumes of dense legal texts and, uh, and diplomatic 
diplomatic uh, letters and so on in that, you know, that very typical 19th century, I don't know what, it appears to be like five point font. I don't <laughs> yeah. know how it read at the time. Um, I used to have to read it with, uh, you know, thank good for P- P- I could PDF it and I could expand it so I could actually read it. Yeah. Um, but as you know, and it was just, and you know, you're completely overwhelmed by the amount of detail there is. Mm-hmm. But what, you know, but I think once I set my mind to it and I figured out the structure, and it's yeah. a very simple structure, and you'll see it in the book, it's essentially there's phase one, there's phase two, there's phase three. Phase one is Bullock, that's the Confederate agent, has to buy uh, blockade runners mm-hmm. to try and break the, the Lincoln's blockade. This is the uh, the early first stage. Uh, second phase is he moves on to commissioning uh, commerce raiders that later become the CSS Alabama, the CSS Florida, and you know, other well-known ships like that. Phase yeah. three is the, what are known as the Laird Rams. Laird is the famous shipyard. Um, and they're rams because they're ironclad rams. I mean, their their job is to ram Union U.S. Navy frigates and sink mm-hmm. them at sea. Um, and once I had that, then it all became clear because it was also very usefully alliterative. And it was uh, part one was uh, runners, part two, raiders, part three, rams. So once you begin slotting things into that kind of infrastructure, then the book made sense. And that's and then it just ran. And, you know, the whole thing was written very quickly at that point. So that that's how it I mean, it's a very long answer to a very short sure. question. Sure, it's great. I mean, um, and I looked through your sources and there's a lot of fantastic um, primary and secondary sources, you know, which is interesting because, in, and obviously the listeners haven't seen the book yet, but um, hope they get it because it reads very quickly. Um, it doesn't read like your typical his- history book. Um, and I probably say this on every interview I do I, because I look for books that are that are easier to read. Um, definitely don't want it to read like some of the stuff I had to read in grad school, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, there's Being a lot there, of stuff but oh my god um you know they're written that probably actually (laughs) that's like oh my god um but you know you really went into the sources to get this um this story but then it comes out in such a way that that you know you could read it on a saturday afternoon sunday afternoon um get through it pretty quickly so one of the things that i liked was um well there's a lot but captain bullock and thomas thomas dudley um, now, these are the drivers of this fascinating tale uh, of spy versus spy. So um, could you give us a little bit of, of detail about these two gentlemen? Yeah, that's great. Uh, good question. The um, So the book is structured in the sense that I wanted two very strong characters, you know, and, it, you know, it's a character driven book. Um, and, you know, I was blessed there with, you know, having Bullock and Dudley. You don't often run into two fantastic characters. Um, like that, but and they're very, very different. That's the important mm-hmm. thing. Bullock was uh, a Georgian, you know, sort of old Georgian family, uh, you know, you know, you know, quite wealthy. I mean, not not incredibly wealthy, but you know, well connected and so forth, yeah. affluent. Um, and he he uh, went to sea, joined the U.S. Navy very young, you know, as, as they did in those days as a midshipman, you know, sort of fifteen or something yeah. like that. Very young. Um, he spent very little time in Georgia. Uh, he never, you know, he was odd in that he, and he spent the next 25 years in, you know, with a U.S. Navy career, you know, perfectly respectable, um, you know, and um, so he never owned slaves and he never had much connection with the South after 
I mean, I think he even went to sort of boarding school in Connecticut or something mm-hmm. when he was much younger. So he really, he was, he was kind of Southern, but he, 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 he knew, he, but he lived in New York and places. I mean, he was sort of New York, you know, located. Yeah. Um, so he was, he was an odd fish like that. And which, and, you know, you know, in the 1850s, he leaves the, the U S Navy because of the promotion ladder at that time is very, very slow. I mean, you could be a, a lieutenant for 35 years and he joins a private steamship company and he basically does mail runs, you know, very happily on um, one of these new steamships going from New York to Havana or Florida and back again, you know, that kind of thing. So he knows the coast very well. He knows how to use steam. He also is, he also has uh, acquires a very useful skill in that he ha- he knows the dockyards and he knows how to commission ships and design and engineer ships. He knows a lot about it. Yeah. Um, and he's an excellent captain at the same time. Uh, and then war breaks out and he, he decides that he's going to go with the South, but um you know, and he's thinking about joining the Confederate Navy, which I think at the beginning of the war consisted of precisely one ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but uh, Mallory, the secretary of the the Navy, the Confederate one, you know, had another idea for him, and that he was he'd be much more useful being sent to England mm-hmm. to uh, get these acquire these ships because he's got the knowledge, he's trustworthy, and best of all, he's clean. You know, the the North doesn't really know about him. He's not he's not some sort of huge smoke breathing you know slaver advocate or anything yeah he kept himself to himself for 30 years um but he's but character wise bullock is this you know he's got he's he's kind of cunning he's very clever uh he knows he's clever too uh he's very evasive uh diplomatic and he's kind of uh, sort of designedly aristocratic you know, he's, uh, you know, so he had what the Italians would, he has sprezzatura, you know, sort of elegant gracefulness. Yeah. Um, he knows how to speak to the right people. And he has the world is his oyster kind of thing. And he, this is a kind of a, a, an idea that he likes to, um, uh, you know, likes to, uh, to play on. Mm-hmm. Dudley, however, is a completely different person. Dudley is the son of a, uh, a very modest New Jersey farmer. Um, and a Quaker, and uh, and uh, he, but his father dies young. Thomas Dudley has to work on the farm with his siblings and so on. And, and, and you know, it's a it's a you know poor but modest background. Uh, puts himself through law school, gets himself apprenticed to a local lawyer, and you know he's set on a kind of a a legal career as yeah. a kind of a you know kind of well known you know attorney. Um, but one thing that he has that Dudley doesn't is he has, you know, he's in, in ideology very early on. I mean, there's no ifs or buts about this. He's ideologically an abolitionist, mm-hmm. a lot of which comes from his Quakerism. And uh, whereas, you know, Bullock is much more sort of go along to get along type of figure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, Dudley does some, you know, considering he's a lawyer, I mean, he does some very brave things. Like before the war in the 1850s, when this sort of stuff was very dangerous, he he assumes a uh, what he believes to be the disguise of a of what a slaver looks like, mm-hmm. and he goes down south to Maryland and 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 further south to um try and find uh, um, uh some people that that have been kidnapped. This was a thing that was done at the time, and and buy them, you know, much against his inclinations of course but buy them and bring them back home 
Uh, and he does this, and he finds the man who had kidnapped them, and he buys them and the, the, the slaves, and he a few of them get lost. Um, unfortunately, you know, they get sold at auctions, which only heightens his disgust, of course, at this whole practice. Yeah. But he's a he's a fire breathing abolitionist. There's no, you know, and he is he is he just sort of ideologically rigid. Um, unlike Dull, uh, Bullock, who is very amusing and you know very gregarious and social, Dudley is not, and he he lacks any discernible sense of humor. <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> There's nothing funny about him at all. Um, but it, then then at the uh, at the convention, the presidential convention, uh, uh, he kind of pulls some strings in the background. He's he's a Republican representative uh, delegate. Sorry. And he pulls some strings and he gets the new helps get the New Jersey uh, delegation to, to go for Lincoln mm-hmm. to back him. And as reward for this, Lincoln calls him in, uh, in you know, 18, early 1861 and says, uh, OK, what do you want? You know, do you want to be minister or ambassador to Japan or you can be consul, which is a much lower diplomatic ranking consul to Liverpool? And he, uh, Dudley, who'd gone through this. Who'd very uh, who'd almost lost his life a few several years earlier. His health had never never uh, never repaired itself. Um, he wants to be close to decent doctors, and going to Tokyo is a very very long way away. So he takes the, being consul to Liverpool, which is a you know a job that you know you basically your intent your your job is to go to a, a bunch of fancy dinners um, mm-hmm. with wealthy merchants. Uh, stamp passports, make sure that any drunken sailors you get thrown <laughs> into jail, you know, you, you interviewed, you get them out, you know, you spring them and you send them back to the earth. I mean, that's your job. Um, and Nathaniel Hawthorne, for, it's a gentleman's occupation being consul. Nathaniel Hawthorne, the writer, had been Liverpool consul for several years, uh, just, be, you know, a, few, a little bit before the war. Um, so you're only supposed to do it for a year or two and you come back home. And that's what, that's what, Dudley does. And what he what he doesn't know is, is that as he's going over there several months after when he finally goes over there, several months after the war has started in, in the US, um, he thinks he's just going there for a year and nothing's gonna happen. What he what he and what happens is he's unwittingly just inherited the most important intelligence posting in the world. Bullock <laughs> is there. And he's been running rings about union intelligence in Britain for the last six months. I mean, he's the king of the castle. So that, and that's how their that's how their clash begins. In that Dudley has to learn to how to beat Bullock, and that's that's the sort of the core of the story. But yes, two very very different different individuals, and they they both obviously detested each other. <laughs> that's it's such a great story. It's so fascinating. Um, now I've got a question. Actually, I've got a couple of questions, but um, let me just remind the listeners: uh, we are talking today to Alexander Rose the author of numerous books, including his latest book we're discussing is The Lion and the Fox. Um, Once again, there is a link in the show notes page. You can head over to Amazon and grab yourself a copy. I I guarantee you, you're not going to regret it. This one, you'll read it in, man, you won't be able to put it down. You'll get it through in a day. (laughs) Um, It's so fascinating. And one of the fascinating parts about this story, I'm going to skip to my, my other question. I've got another one I'll try to circle back to, but I was so fascinated when... Bullock arrives in Liverpool. Um, now, part of that is I'm a huge Beatles fan and I love Liverpool Football Club and soccer. So, um, you know, it was just there was that whole aspect. But 
um, your description really brought the city to life. So um, I was wondering if you could help us just what would a visitor, you know, upon stepping off a ship in Liverpool, say in 1861, what would what would he or she see? Well, there's two angles on this, and I, I do it in the book. Um, and that it's, you know, what Dudley sees when he first steps off the ship and what Bullock sees when he first steps off his ship. Yeah. Um, to, to, to Bullock, the Confederate, it's, it's, a, it's a paradise. It's a, it's a wonderland yeah. because uh, it is the center of, of, of cotton trading, which is, you know, the Dixie white gold, which is key to the, 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 the Southern war effort. It is the most powerful um, or the mightiest port city on earth. I mean, in Liverpool, they built more ships in one year than anywhere else in the world combined. You have the beginnings of a cotton futures exchange there. These are, you know, and speculation and so on. There's a lot of money there. And they had the, the, the Liverpudlians have had connections with the South for, you know, more than a century. Yeah. In back in the old days, in the 18th century, uh, they, you know, they traded in sugar and slaves and, mm -hmm. and rum. I mean, that was it. it, was, it but then uh, the British kind of outlawed or you know, abolished slave, slave trade. And a lot of the old slave um, barons, so to speak, um, converted themselves into cotton lords. And so they, they just dealt with a different kind of southern yeah. <laughs> commodity. Kind of the same, uh, different. A little different, yeah, but you know, this cotton was obviously grown by and, and picked by slaves. Yeah. Um, so again, these these are old, old family and kinship neck business connections going back generations, mm -hmm. and it is the friendliest city in in Europe to the South for any number of reasons. One of which is is that is the economic and finan financial one. Uh, the second is 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 that it's. Um, you know, it's it has a romantic view of the South of you know plucky Southerners standing up to those anti-free trading Lincolnite yeah. tariff, you know, uh, tariff thieves, yeah. uh, you know, blocking our ships. You know, yeah. so there's there's a lot of that going on there. So, but uh, Bullock notices that there's more bun Confederate bunting and flags and celebrations and pictures of Jefferson Davis and so on uh, in Liverpool than in Richmond. I mean, the place is. <laughs> is is basically that it's like this anglo confederate uh fantasy world for him yeah. so it's, for him it's brilliant and he's got of course entree to everybody sure. you know all the, the 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 huge um shipyard um uh dynasties you know open their doors and they love it they want to sell ships to the confederacy and the, the confederates have a lot of money and gold and and cotton to trade yeah. um they're happy to just you know to strike a blow for well, I guess their own freedom, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dudley, on the other hand, has a very different experience. When he goes there, it's a, it's a kind of a Dickensian nightmare, mm. um, and that you know the poverty is is out of control, the overcrowding, the, the the crime, the thievery, and to him, it's just he doesn't see all these rich people. He doesn't see all this wonderful, you know, all the the, the welcome uh, carpet laid out for him. Yeah, <laughs> right. he has to live in a little boarding house somewhere, and and and, and you know, and the U.S. consulate is this kind of dive wow. uh, <laughs> that he's got got there. Um, whereas Bullock is working out of the offices of Fraser Trenum, which was a Confederate front, yeah, outfit, which is you know the beautiful headquarters kind of thing. Whereas you know, and they're they're very close; they're within a, like a minute or two's walk of each other. 
And uh, but Dudley goes there and, you know, he just sees it as this kind of seamy underside representative of everything that, that Liverpool and the Confederacy represents to him. And, uh, you know, so he and he's got very few friends there. He's got one or two. There are some dissenters. There's a few anti, you know, a few abolitionists around here and there, but they are few and far between. Uh, this this is Bullock City, not his. No. He is the he is the Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, quite almost literally. <laughs> so that's the two different aspects of of Liverpool that 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 these two men experience. Um, and as I explained in the book, it does change over the course of the war. The, yeah. it, you know, it, it shifts much more to Dudley's side of things than to and against Bullock. But that's that's sort of later in in the war. Yeah, and it was fascinating to hear that. You know, um, I think of Liverpool as such a left leaning city today, um, but it was fascinating to see that, you know, at least at the beginning of the war, um, it, you know, you wouldn't have associated it with the left, at least not in this um, particular um, particular cause. Now, part of the the driving force, I guess you could say the driving force um, to all of this is Lincoln's blockade, um, which, you know, in history, we kind of mention um, in passing, maybe, you know, if you're a professor, you're a history teacher, you know, you mentioned Lincoln blockades the South. Bada boom, bada bang, you move on. Um, but it's much more complicated than that. Um, and you, yeah. you mentioned that pretty early in the book. Um, it's it's not so simple. So I was just wondering if you could kind of discuss that a little bit, because it, it's really important to the, the whole story. Uh, the, yeah, the, the story of the blockades is uh, very interesting, a, a bit more complex than you think. And again, you're right. You just see, and, and then Lincoln, there was a blockade. All right, yeah. move on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I didn't, I, again, that was what I thought too. I didn't really know anything about it, but it's, 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 a, the, the blockade's interesting because it's the, it's, it's that. And uh, another factor, which I'll get into in a second, is the thing that, 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 that um, trips up Bullock. For the first time, he, these are unexpected obstacles because mm-hmm. they, when he first um, sails for Britain, you know the world is his oyster. Liverpool is his oyster. The, the the British are, you know, are almost certainly going to come in, in a, as part of a kind of an Anglo Confederate alliance. Uh, the uh, the uh, against the North, the Royal Navy will soon be blasting uh, Lincoln's insolent, you know. Navy to smithereens and open up the docks. The the North will soon collapse, yeah. and all of these greedy Northern industrialists will soon learn, you know, the might of of, you know, of the command of the ocean and all that kind of stuff. Um, so he, he's like, yeah, this is great. This is easy, you know. Yeah. Um, when he's as he's going over, two things happen, uh, which were not supposed to happen. First, the British declare unexpectedly neutrality. They are they are not siding with either. Um, they want to basically the British can't really make head or tail of this whole war. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't really, really don't understand it. It's, I think I said in the book that it's, it's another one of their rancorous colonial cousins. <laughs> yes. All fights. They don't <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I think Russell, the foreign secretary, advises the prime minister. He just says, look, you know, there's no good guy here. There's no bad guy here. For God's sake, let's just stay out of this. Mm-hmm. And so they basically want a neutrality and they will, uh, you know, kind of wait to see who emerges as a winner. And then you side with that person. You know, that's what that's what great powers do. Right. Yeah. Um, and so this dashes a lot of southern expectations. They thought they thought they were 
that they had this in the bag. Um, so that's a that's a complication. It means that when Bullock does get to Liverpool, he has to work within the the, the neutrality laws, mm-hmm. which again he didn't expect to have to do, and that complicates a lot of problems. It me- makes him have to go underground and and use secure circuitous means to try and get his. He can't just openly go to a dockyard and buy a battleship yeah. kind of thing. Uh, the second thing is getting to Lincoln's blockade is that the, the blockade is imposed, again, unexpected. And um, the problem is, is that it's, it, it, it's, 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 it, it, so uh, Bullock has a, um, has a kind of a new mission and that he, he has to show that Lincoln's blockade, that the blockade is porous, that it's easily broken, that it can be ignored. Mm-hmm. Uh, because according to international law, you can't just declare a blockade and everyone goes, oh, well, there's a blockade. I can't do anything about it. You know? Yeah. Um, if it's porous, if it's not effectively or efficiently um, sort of guarded, mm-hmm. then anyone can, you can just ignore it. Everything's fine. Um, so, but the thing is, Lincoln has got, I think it's a like a 3,500 3, mile long coast up from, you know, from Maine down to, you know, you know, throughout the, the whole East Coast and the, the Gulf of Mexico and everything, the Caribbean. Um Lincoln has only a handful of ships to blockade this. And so, again, Bullock thinks that this is going to be easy. He just has to get a a whole swarm of blockade runners. That's why they're called blockade runners Mm -hmm. to smuggle in a bunch of guns and goods and weaponry and and luxuries and medicine and all that kind of stuff. And it will show the world that the blockade is porous. And if that's the case, then Everyone can ignore it. You can the British can ship in whatever they want. The French can do the same. You know, anyone can ship in and out. Um, what what he soon realizes is is that he's been working on a false assumption. You don't have to blockade the entire length of a coastline. You just have to blockade the I think the seven seven deep water ports yeah. the South has, uh, like Charleston, for instance. Um, in, in order to kind of cut off about 98% of the Southern trade. And you need, you don't need anywhere near as many ships for that. So again, that's, that is another you know, wrench in the works that he's got to deal with. He's got to start. It's not just about the blockade runners. He has to start getting those commerce raiders going up to start raiding union ships so that they draw off so that Lincoln will take off some of the frigates and so on and, and start having to do convoy defense, that kind of thing. So it's all part of a strategy, but again, it just, it just, it just throws. It's just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. He's got to get through. Yeah, but it doesn't make it any easier for Dudley, of course. <laughs> but he's got Dudley tries keeps on trying to catch him, but but Bullock's too wily to be caught that easily. And I, I, I don't want to get into too much of the the story. To, I don't want to give anything away. But um, my final question for you as an author was there anything as you're researching this or writing this and you're working on this book. Was there anything that you found um, that was that was shocking or surprising? Um, I would say sh- shocking. Um, I mean, no, well, actually, you know, the, the the extent of Liverpool and and British public opinion, uh, and that it's it's sort of southernism, sometimes mm-hmm. hard southern, sometimes soft southern, you know, is is a very interesting subject matter and how it shifts over the war mostly as a result of the Emancipation Proclamation, which, again, changes everything uh, qualitatively. I mean, you just, I I think I have in the book that in 1862, there were about nine 
abolitionist meetings in Britain, you know, usually just small people in little church halls kind of thing. After Emancipation Proclamation, um, there are dozens and dozens and dozens. And some of these are taking place in huge, um, you know, um, like opera houses and theaters and with thousands of people going. It is a huge shift in British public opinion, which, again, it's very interesting because um, people, I think, uh, tend to often see the the Civil War in a in a in a sort of national way they just focus on what's going on in in the in no, i wouldn't say the united states in on the american yeah <laughs> on the american continent without looking at the international dimensions here mm-hmm. uh, so again that was that again that was very surprising and you know in various different british interpretations of what the war was about were interesting um the other thing is 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 the importance of um of the naval uh sphere in the civil war i mean i'm like one of the reasons i started writing the book i found it interesting was it it gets away from the 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 blue and the gray and gettysburg mm-hmm. about i've written about gettysburg anyway but um you know and just you know lee versus grant and all this kind of stuff um which is fantastic but i wanted to do something completely different and have it set in a different country sure. and you know, the naval stuff but the naval stuff is important because without Without the without the naval dimension, that a lot of the land war doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, um, you know, and you, you and a lot of the diplomacy. You know, why the Confederates and the Union spend so much time trying to persuade the British and the French to either come in or stay neutral. It's extremely. Remember, these are two major superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that that's that's interesting too. Just have just having this different light on the Civil War. I found I found you know very interesting. And it it is it's it's such a different way of looking at it. Um, this is kind of a a theme I think lately of some of the interviews that I've done is that there's just you know you tend to look at something from a specific point of view and you forget there's all for the Civil War for example there's this international um, aspect to it all that just like the blockade it gets kind of well the British and the French they were the South thought they would come and help them they kind of sort of do but they kind of sort of don't and then you just move on to the next thing but it's really this whole very important aspect of the civil war and it really does kind of add this eye-opening um part to it that that i had not really i'm sorry to say i'd never really thought about too much kind of the same with the blockade you know it's just lincoln says it boom it's done (laughs) (laughs) so so thank you so much for writing this um I think everybody's going to enjoy this book. I highly recommend it again. Guys, go check it out. Um, we've got the link in the show notes page to Amazon. Make it easy for you. A couple of clicks and it'll be at your doorstep. So um, thank you. Uh, December 6th, I think, is coming out. So Okay, great. Um, and this... this They're accepting pre-orders now. Awesome. And this, this <laughs> episode comes out on the 5th of December. So guess what? Uh, you just got to wait 24 hours after you guys listen to this and you can get the book. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks. For, thanks very much for having me. And we will see you all on our next episode, which releases in one week. Thank you guys for listening. Take care and have a good day. Do you like the sound of the American history podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com.